It's a, it's a fun day. I always enjoy new membership Sunday, even when I goof it up, as I tend to do. Um, we, and as I said, we celebrate a lot of things, and, and it is Mother's Day, and we do kind of recognize that. And as we uh, turn our attention now, we kind of make this pivot and shift to, um, to our Scripture and getting, getting into this morning. Uh, I've shared with you a number of times that I, uh, you know, I do series when I preach a lot of times, and then sometimes I do you know, just individual messages. A lot of times when I'm in these, these individual messages, I'll use what's called the Revised Common Lectionary to, to pick scriptures. The hardest part of preaching, sometimes the hardest part of preaching, is not the writing the sermon. It's the figuring out what I'm preaching on to begin with. I will spend hours sometimes doing that. And, and so the, the lectionary kind of offers some texts and allows me to kind of narrow my thinking. And so when I was preparing for this Sunday, the second Sunday of May, and, and happens to fall on Mother's Day, uh, the... the, the the New Testament, one of the New Testament lessons comes from Acts 9, which we'll read in just a few moments. And it was, it was a story, and is a story, that one of the central characters is, is a woman, a lesser-known woman of faith. And I thought, well, that's, that's an appropriate fit. And also, it happens to be a text that I knew immediately I've never preached on. And that's always a little bit fun and challenging to come across a scripture that I was like, I know I haven't written a sermon or I haven't focused on in a, in a message before. And the reason I knew it is because this is a character who by her very name is kind of unforgettable. Uh, we're in a few moments going to get introduced to a woman that in this, these few verses, these, these nine or 11 verses, um, has two different names. They're actually the same name, but they're in different languages. Uh, which is not uncommon in the scriptures. We see that in a few places. Peter, which is um, Greek, but also is known as Cephas, which is Aramaic. And you read both of those. Paul refers to him as Cephas. Uh, the, the disciple Matthew. Remember that in some of our scriptures we read the call of Levi, which is Matthew being the Greek, but Levi being the Aramaic. I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry, the Hebrew. Levi is the Hebrew name. So we, we see this in, in a number of places. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, what we're going to read comes right after the story of the conversion of Paul, who was Saul. Now, those are, are different names that are given. And we see these kind of things pop up. And, and here we have this story in Acts chapter 9 of a woman by her, um, by her, her one name, which is the, the um, kind of a derivative of the Aramaic, is known as Tabitha. Uh, Tabit is the, is the Aramaic, and it comes from, it means gazelle. It's a, a beautiful name. But in Greek, it is translated Dorcas. And, and I will confess to you, the first time I heard the story of Dorcas in a Sunday school class, I was about nine years old, and I responded the way a nine-year-old responds. I giggled and laughed because I thought, surely nobody's really named Dorcas. That can't be a real name because it sounds like dork. It sounds like what you'd say to, to uh, insult somebody. And I always remember that because I remember hearing her story for the first time. But it is, it is a real name. It's just not a common name. Uh, since 1880, the, the census that I read, I was able to pull some research, there have only been about 4,000 women, I suppose, uh, in the United States that have been named Dorcas. So it is not common. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're going, well, I know a Dorcas, and I'm, I'm treading lightly here because I have to be careful um, because I don't want to, to be dismissive in any way. In fact, after the first service, 
um, uh, if you know Diane and Eduardo Rodriguez, part of our church, uh, Diane came up and said, my daughter's name is Dorcas. And I went, oh boy. Um, but she said in the Hispanic community, it's much more common. Uh, in the, in the, uh, and she said her daughter loved her name until they came to the United States, and she wasn't as fond of it anymore. And uh, last year, you know the, the ranking of, of popular names, and I don't know what the most popular girl's name was, but you usually kind of get that list of 1 to 10. Dorcas ranked 10,435th. And then that, so it's, it's an uncommon name. That's really the point I'm wanting to get at. It's, it's an uncommon name, but it's also a powerfully um, uncommon story. And that's what's really important. We're going we're gonna to get introduced to Dorcas. This is the, the, the only place in the scriptures that we read about her. But her story is significant and it's, it's important. And there's a reason that Luke, uh, who writes both Luke and Acts, wants to tell part of her story. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 32. And it really begins to focus with Peter and, and is one of the main players in this. So... Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 32, this is what we read. It says, As Peter traveled about the Lord's country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There was, a man, there was found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing the robes and other clothes, clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Friends, sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, we, we would ask that you would speak to us and to our hearts in these moments as we just open ourselves to the power of story and to the power of those who have lived before us lives of faithfulness and what we can learn through them. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. We pray this now in Christ's holy name. Amen. So the scene for this miracle is not one that would be unfamiliar to us. The location would be, but the scene isn't. It's, it's a funeral. It's, it's very much similar to what uh, we might encounter at a funeral home or at a church during um, a memorial for somebody. People gathered to, to remember and to grieve. And the location is different because it's in the home, which is not as common now. 
but, but it wasn't so long even in, in our history that that was the common place for, for um, um, a, a loved one to, to, lay, to lay and to, to be grieved and remembered and celebrated prior to, to burial. And so they're in the home. Um, Dorcas has just died. We don't really know the circumstance. Had she been sick, but was it unexpected? Had she been sick for a long time? A lot of the details we don't know. But those in the community have come to grieve. They've come to, to, to do the rites of, of burial and to prepare for this um, goodbye. And that's the scene that, that Peter steps into. Because Peter had been, and, and the first part of that we read, the, the miracle of uh, Peter healing Aeneas, which in itself is a significant miracle, but it also serves as a bridge for us to this story because it, it gets Peter in Lydda. Now, Lydda and Joppa are only like that far away. As you look at the map, it's about that far because I know that real specific for you, which is about 15 miles. It's about 15 miles. So they know that this follower of Jesus, this Christian brother, this, this apostle is, is close by. And so they call him to come to Joppa. Doesn't say what they expected him to do. They don't know if they were looking for a miracle or they just thought his presence would be healing and, 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 and would be a blessing to the community. We don't know. But he comes and he encounters the mourners. And what he does is he comes into the house and he does something very interesting. He goes into the room where, where Dorcas is and he asks everybody to leave. Now, this for some of you should sound familiar. Because this is kind of a callback, if you will, uh, a, a reference, a, a mimicking of something that Jesus had done. Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who is doing miracles and is preaching and knows this power comes from the power of Christ within him, who also knows that what he learned in life and ministry is, is the lessons from Jesus and how Jesus did things. And Jesus had done this same thing. In the scriptures, in, in the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, and Mark, Jesus goes to the home of Jairus, Jairus, the, and his daughter has died. And he comes in, and everybody's grieving the same way. They're in the home, and they're grieving. And he says to them in one of these lines, he says, Why are you crying? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laugh at him. And the next thing he does is he, he tells everybody to leave. He, he kind of has everybody but a few of the disciples leave the room. And it is there that Jesus performs the miracle and raises the girl from the dead. So Peter is, I think, doing what he'd seen Jesus do, which is what a disciple does. I mean, if we really want to boil what it means to be a Christian down to very simple terms, it is our call to do the things Jesus did. And we might not be raising people from the dead, but showing that love and grace and the compassion. We're called to mimic that. We're called to reflect that. We're called to embody that. So, so Peter's doing that in a tangible way. He asks everybody to leave. And he gets down on his knees and he does this prayer. And he instructs Dorcas or Tabitha, you know, those interchangeable names for the same person, to get up. And, and she does. And this remarkable miracle takes place. And, and in that, not only in Dorcas's name uncommon, not only in the, the events of her death, but, but what makes part of her story uncommon is she now is part of a, a miracle that did not happen very often. 
We tend to think of, of resurrection in the scriptures as a common miracle. It wasn't. There are only eight stories of resurrection in the Bible. If you don't count Jesus, if you don't count the resurrection, those who were resurrected through miracles, there's eight. Three in the Old Testament uh, around the prophet Elijah and Elisha. So just three. And five in the New Testament. So she is part of an uncommon story. An uncommon miracle, as much as we tend to think of it as, as frequent, it wasn't. And so she gets grafted into this through this, this faithfulness and through the work and the ministry of Peter. But I really want to spend a few moments this morning, not about Peter. Peter gets enough attention. But I want to look at Dorcas. Because there's a reason beyond the miracle that her story is told. Luke, I believe, wants us to understand something about her. And it begins with the introduction, or it begins with the description of the scene that the women, the widows specifically, they're gathered in the house and they are grieving, and they have brought the things that Dorcas had made for them, the robes, and it says other clothing. They're grieving because they recognize that their community has lost someone of significance. Their community has lost someone who made a big difference. And they bring tangible reminders, tangible evidence of her impact, of the difference that she made. You know, nowadays, the most common thing that we do at memorials and funerals is we bring pictures. And we, you know, either use multimedia or we put pictures out. And pictures tell a story. That's, that's what they do. They're snapshots of moments in time that, that help us to tell the story and, and, and really celebrate the memories of someone that we love. Well, obviously, at the time of Peter, they don't have pictures. So these items that they're holding, they're part of the story. They're part of the way that they celebrate this woman was a community treasure. She made a difference. And they're using these objects as a way to remember and tell her story. This is somebody who mattered. This is somebody who mattered. And, and mattered because she blessed us. Now, what I imagine in most of our houses or special places, offices or things, that there are objects in your home that tell a story about people in your life who have mattered. I'm not talking about things that necessarily, they could be of great value, but they don't have to be. I mean, if you walk into my office on any given day, first of all, I'm sorry, um, because it's a little messy and cluttered. That's just me. But, but you will see around the office, you'll see things that are placed on tables, on bookshelves, on walls, and there, there may be, some of them are pictures, some of them are, are things people have crafted. Some of them are plaques. But they're things I've chosen intentionally to keep. They're things that are, are kept with a purpose because they're things that people in my journey in, in ministry and, and in being part of a community of faith, they're, they're things that people have given to me. They're gifts. They're, some of them might be very valuable. I, I don't know monetarily their worth, but I know emotionally their worth. I know spiritually their worth. I know connectionally their worth because they tell stories. When I look at these things that people have given me, I think about the people that gave them. I think about the, the story behind the gift itself, that the gift themselves are very nice and, and meaningful, but, but the, the representative, the way they represent the people in my life, 
that have been a part of the journey, been a part of my story. That's why I keep them. That's why they matter to me. That's, that's the significance, because they're tangible reminders of a much deeper and more powerful truth and connection. That's what's happening here. These women are grieving because this is a woman that has made a difference. This is a woman that has taken care of them, who has loved them, who has provided for them. And widows is significant because, remember, in the culture of the day, a woman was dependent upon her husband for, um, for, the, the, for being sustained and taken care of most of the time. And so when a woman lost her husband, she very often lost her means of support. This is where Tabitha steps in. She becomes a blessing to those widows and to others in the community. And the scriptures say something interesting. In verse 36, um, the the Greek means that she was full of good works. Some some of the translations devoted herself to good works. But but the real translation, the most um, point translation, on point, would have been full of good works. Plera is this, this Greek word. And it means... It's often connected with being full of the Holy Spirit. So it's say when player, you're full of the Holy Spirit, but here it's being full of good works. And I think that's an intentional bridge. Tabitha was full of the Holy Spirit. And when you are full of the Holy Spirit, you are full of, of a, the Spirit of God, which moves us to do good things, which moves us to want to bless and be a positive impact in the lives of others. So to say that she was full of the Holy Spirit must also imply that she was full of good works. Or to say that she was full of good works means that she had filled herself with the Spirit of God. It begins to flow from her. It begins to to become... It's not that it's something she does. It's who she is. And she begins... And she dedicates her life to impacting the lives of others. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, For you are God's handiwork. You and I are God's handiwork. We are created to do good works. We are created to do good works. That's Tabitha's story. That's Dorcas's story. That's who she is. That's, that's what she does. That's the definition of her life. And she has made a difference. And she has impacted. And she's gotten her fingerprints all over the lives of those who loved her. Got up this morning and I read a, a devotion that a, a colleague of mine had written. And uh, it was, I don't know if he wrote it yesterday, I don't know if he wrote it this morning, but, but he shared that he, uh, he was up doing his, his morning devotions. And he's a very organized, neat um, kind of very almost obsessive about keeping things organized and clean, very opposite me. And um, he said he was sitting in his house, and he looked out his glass sliding doors, you know, that we a lot have onto our porches and things, and he could see the fingerprints all over the glass from his grandchildren. And he said he looked at it, and rather than getting obsessed about cleaning it or, or you know, wiping them off, he celebrated them because it reminded him of the, the, the imprint, the fingerprints of his grandchildren on his life and their presence and their love. And I thought about that. And, you know, on, on this day, John referenced this in, in the prayer this morning. We, it is Mother's Day, and we certainly do celebrate um, a, a traditional sense of mothers. And I hope that you have 
the ability to celebrate that, whether in memory or if you're really blessed to be together. Don't ever take that for granted. But, but in Christ, that definition gets much wider for us. What we celebrate today is the women specifically, but the, the people that have gotten their fingerprints on our lives, on our hearts, that have their, their handprints all over us because that's what shapes us and molds us. And, and, and so what I pray is whoever that may be, celebrate those people today. Take a moment to, to tell them, if you can, thank you for the difference that you've made. And if not, thank God for the difference that they've made in your life. Because none of us all have those, those people in our lives anymore. But here's the thing. What Dorcas teaches us is she was that kind of a person. But part of the value of her story is it calls us to be like her. We are called to be that. In fact, here's an interesting thing. Here's a, here's a, 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 um, a Bible trivia piece for you. Dorcas is called a disciple in, I think, verse 36. She's called a disciple. It is the first time in the Bible a woman is called a disciple. Now, there were other women who were disciples, but it's the first time Luke wants to make it clear, this is a disciple of Jesus. Now, what's up until this point, we've always thought of disciples as the preachers, Peter, out preaching sermons or, or others doing miracles. This is a disciple. You know where she decided, you know how she made a difference? She made a difference with a needle and a thread. And wow, was it a powerful difference. She took what she was good at. She took the gifts that she had. She wasn't called to go out and preach in the streets. She wasn't out performing miracles. It wasn't her call. She was making robes and tunics and blankets and things that people needed. And she was a disciple because she was doing it for Jesus. She was a disciple because she was leaving her fingerprints all over people's lives. And when she died, they grieved her. I started to think, when, when I die, who's going to grieve? Who's going to stand there? Not, not that I want anybody to be sad, but whose life beyond my family is going to be there to say, yeah, he impacted me? That's the question we all ask ourselves. We should, and not in a moral way, but who are we going to leave behind that's going to have their hands on tangible things that remind them of the spiritual impact of us? How are we going to be like this woman? How are we going to, here's the line that, that I framed this morning that my nine-year-old self would have laughed at. We're all called to be a bunch of Dorcases. <laughs> that's, that's what we're called to be, a disciple with the gifts and the talents that God's given us and just who we are. She, she left an impact, and they grieved. And it's, it's significant. It says that when Peter resurrected her, when God resurrected her through Peter, it says that he presented her, and it specifically says to the widows, to the people, whose life she had most powerfully impacted, and I'm certain to others. That's, that's her story. That's, that's the stories that we celebrate on a day like today, and I hope on every day. But our challenge is not just to read her story and go, oh, what a great woman of faith. She certainly was. And, and it's interesting. She never says a word. You notice that? She never says a word in the entire scriptures. Her story is told by Luke. She didn't get a voice in this, and I, I wish she did. But Luke makes sure that we know her story. I think partly because I imagine that, that Dorcas didn't look for any publicity. She wasn't looking for any attention. She was just doing what God called her to do. But boy, her story gets told powerfully. An old adage, you know, a Mercedes-Benz doesn't need to advertise or something like that. You know, she was that kind of person. She didn't need to advertise. Others told her story. She just did what she was called to do. Here's our challenge. 
do the things we're called to do. I don't know what your needle and thread is, but use it. Use it. Use it to, to, to bless others. The truth is, it, it's an uncommon name, but really, to contradict my own sermon title, it ought to be a common story. It ought to be the story of all of us in Christ, that we make a difference, that we are disciples of Christ and the things that God's gifted us to do that we can do for others. So, here's my thought. Go and be a Dorcas. Be a Dorcas. Amen. Friends, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of women like Dorcas. Her story, that is so powerful, so important for us, and too often overlooked. There's so many like her, and we thank you for them, whose stories may never be told in grand scales, but who have written their story on our hearts and have made a difference for us. And Lord, help us to live into that example as we're called to be disciples of Christ. Help us to, to bless others and to, to share your love and with whatever that needle and thread is that you've placed in our hands to use it to your glory. This is our prayer. We ask it through the power of Christ at work within us. Amen.